Amen. Thank you so much, Josh. Once again, I say amen, and it is still raining. Ever been there? It's really, you know, it's, it's just the way life is. It really is. Um, I think God teaches us very, very often that we are to trust Him and praise Him even when we say amen to our prayer, and it is still raining because often it does. Well, we've all probably, most of us, now, yeah, it's probably a little older crowd, and so all of us probably know about revivals and how that we've all heard, well, back in the old days, and I'm not sure what that is, but back in the old days, we would have two weeks of revival, and you'd go like two whole weeks and preach, um, and then somewhere along the path, we got a little bit shorter than that, and we went down to a week, and, and now we kind of do the Sunday through Wednesday thing. Really, revivals as a whole, if you've noticed the posters around town, revival meetings as a whole have kind of not as popular as they once were, and uh, there's probably various reasons for that. But all of us have, have been through an experience. Some of us have been a part of experiencing great revivals, some of the more powerful movements around here in this area that we have seen God work. The old hymn says it this way, We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. The second verse, We praise thee, O God, uh, for the spirit of light who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. The third verse, all glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who hath bore all our sins and hath cleansed every stain. And revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. May soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Although the methodology may have changed, the heart cry should not change. And that is that God would do something new in our lives. Now, I, I'm pretty sure y'all all understand that a series of meetings is, is not revival. It's a series of meetings. Um, that's why we, for instance, intentionally say renewal conference. Because whether revival or whether renewal comes is not based on how long we meet, where we meet, and even who the speaker is. It depends upon the Word of God and then our response to the Word of God. And that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight. How can we anticipate, how can we help the Holy Spirit to really bring revival into our lives? What, what needs to happen? Well, in Psalm, I've got about three scriptures. Actually, I've got two scriptures tonight. First off is Psalm 85. You want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We're going to stay there in just a moment. And it's, once again, it's that key word that we're looking for tonight. Now, understanding this is in the, the book of Psalms. It's in the book of, of poetry. And understanding also involves the relationship with Israel and not our relationship with God. But it does say this. It does say in verse number 4, Psalm 85, Restore us. Lord, once again, now once again, please understand this. In, in our age of grace, God's favor is always upon us. But something calls this psalmist, we're not sure again the circumstances, something calls this psalmist to cry out once again for God's favor. God, restore us. God, once again, put your favor upon us, O God. And they recognized who he was, O God of our salvation. And cause your anger. Now, now once again... In the age of grace, I'm not sure how well that applies, but they had sinned. There was, there was obvious open sin, and the psalmist felt like God's anger was upon them. Really, we know it probably be God's judgment. And certainly God's judgment and discipline does come upon the believer even today in the sense of our, you know, bring us back into him. And cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? 
Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? These are three rhetorical questions that expect a, a certain answer. Will you be angry with us forever? No. Will you prolong your anger to all generations? No. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not bring spiritual awakening once again to your people? And that is God's desire. That God would bring spiritual awakening to his people. And the church today, and certainly, and I was going to say our nation... But once again, I'm not trying to be mean, but we do not live in a Christian nation. We are the fourth largest lost nation in this entire world. There are only three other countries who have more lost people than us. And that certainly does not signify. We have Christian foundation. We have Christian forefounders. The principles are Christian. But today, to say that America is a Christian nation simply is not true. So the question is this. Can God, will God, come into our midst and renew us next week so that we may take the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community and to our nation and to our world in a more powerful, powerful way? I was going to do something different tonight, but I settled on Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, because I really believe that if or not renewal comes individually and as a church, it will depend on our response to the word of God. How will we respond? Now, once again, may I say something very plainly? And that is this. Regardless of who the teacher is, regardless of who the teacher is, this teaching needs to be applied every week into our lives. We need to examine what God wants His Word to do in our lives every single week. Whether it's Tim Sadler as, as an IBSA missionary, whether it's myself as kind of the regular Sunday morning teacher, whether it's one of our other staff, whether it's a guest speaker, it simply does not matter. Whether it's a guest speaker on Wednesday night, does not matter. What are we going to do with what the Word of God says to us on that particular occasion? Now, in this case, what I want to do is, here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to read verses 4 through, it looks like, 8, okay, and kind of tell the parable. And then I want to come back and preach through that, looking at the parable and looking at what Jesus says the parable means. Now, Luke chapter 8, we start these words. As a large crowd was gathering, and once again, note that, Jesus had no trouble gathering a crowd. People were drawn to him because of his authenticity. As a large crowd was gathering and people were flocking to him from every town, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he was sowing, some fell along the path and it was trampled on and the birds of the sky ate it up. Other seed fell upon the rock and when it sprung up, it withered since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it sprung up, it produced a crop, 100 times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. So let's look at, and when Jesus tells us now, what does this parable mean, and how can it apply to our lives? Notice first off, in verse 5a, notice what it says. A sower went out to sow seed. We are to be sowers of the seed. Now, we're, he's fixing to tell us that the seed is the word of God. And this is not something only pastors do. It is responsibility of every one of us to sow the word of God, to pour the word of God into the lives of others. And the key thing is this. The key thought is, is that before you can sow something, you've got to have something in you. 
Before you can sow something, you've got to have it in you. The reason it's so important that we become somewhat students of the Word of God and understand the Word of God and soak in the Word of God is so that we'll have the Word of God to share with others. Um, I sent a text to someone this week, and I sent two particular scriptures out that are very meaningful to me that I hope spoke peace into that person. We should have a, the ability, and, and sometimes we know the reference, just you know, the best we can say, well, you know, I remember the Word of God says something like this, and it said it to me. So it's important that we have the Word of God. So Jesus nails that down in verse number 11 and says this. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the Word of God. Now, the Word of God, you've heard me say it's a roadmap for life. It's God's love letter to us. But the Word of God is God's instruction manual for living on this earth. The Word of God is God's full revelation of Himself to His people. And you know, I, said that, I say that tonight for a reason. I was sharing this morning with someone in a private conversation, and we were talking about the Word of God, and we were talking about how the world doesn't live by the Word of God, and, and the, kind of gave me a, the person gave me a puzzled look. I said, no, don't you understand that this book was not written to the world? This book was written to God's people. And we, we get all frustrated because the world doesn't follow the Word of God. Of course they don't. They're lost. They're not the people of God. We get frustrated because the world doesn't follow the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to a covenant people, and that is God's people. The reason the world doesn't follow the Ten Commandments is because they don't know the God of the Ten Commandments. Uh, again, America was kind of founded on the principle of the Ten Commandments, but they don't know the God by and large. And so that's why they get so frustrated with lost people. Listen, lost people are simply being lost people. If you want to get frustrated, try to figure out why saved people act like lost people. That will get you frustrated. That will drive you in a circle for sure. So Jesus says that, that the seed is the Word of God. Now, our response to the Word of God will determine the amount of renewal that occurs in our life. I went over to um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. Let me read this to you as a reminder. All Scripture. Now, does all mean all? Okay, good, good. Okay, so all Scripture is breathed out by God. So this book is the, we believe, is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. It is, and really, by the way, it's not even a collection of 66 books. It is, it's, not, it's a library, if you will, of, of God's wonderful revelation of Himself, starting in Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's the way God shows it. And God inspired this. Men may have actually penned the words, but each one was led by the Spirit of God. So it's God-breathed. And it's profitable. It's good for these things. For teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's, it's profitable for correction. It's profitable for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, can I read that one more time? Can I read it one more time? All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. For training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, i got a question. First off, do we believe that's true? Everybody kind of got it? Yeah, yeah, Dwayne, I, I balance. Yeah, I hear that. I think it's clear. I think it's concise. It's what it says. Now, how are we going to let the word of God be profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and that we might be completely equipped if we never read it? I'm telling you guys, listen, if you want to lose weight, I've got a way. What you do is you eat three, you pick three meals, but, but for our illustration purposes, we're going to only eat three meals a day. And it's very important that the three meals that you don't sit at the table 
longer than about 35 minutes. Okay? You can have one meal on Sunday morning, you can have one meal on Sunday night, and you can have one meal on Wednesday night. That's all you can eat. Would you lose weight? Would that be a healthy way of losing weight? Well, no. Okay, my question is this. How in the world do we expect ourselves to remain spiritually healthy? How in the world can we maintain a healthy uh, environment in our lives if all we depend on is some other person to feed us three times a week? How, how do we expect ourselves to respond healthily and as a Christian if all we get is what Dwayne or somebody gives on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? And that's if you hit all three services. A lot of folks hit one service a week. How are we supposed to sustain a vibrant Christian relationship with Jesus Christ with one meal a week? Can I have an amen? So it's very important that we understand that we have got to get into the Word of God. But there's something more important than that. Not only do we need to get into the Word of God, Betty, but we've got to let the Word of God get into us. It's, it's, again, it's not enough. You know, if we had church every day, three times a day, it would not be enough to sustain a healthy environment as a believer. We've got to be willing to ingest what the Word of God says and let it become a part of us. You know, I never really fully understand John chapter 6. You know, where, I mean, I understand some of it, but where Jesus says, you've got, to, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're all going, whoa, whoa, that's really out there. They just couldn't grasp it. And I said, whatever it means is this. It means that as we drink or eat Jesus, he becomes part of us. Just like food. Some of the food has become a part of me. It's very close to me. All right? So, so just like food becomes a part of us, so Jesus was teaching that we got to become, he's got to become a part of us. And this blessed, precious book, if it's going to be profitable to us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work, has got to become a part of us. Guys, listen. This is the Sunday night crap. I'm telling you, if you're not regularly into the Word of God, you're starving yourself. You're starving yourself. So make it a point tonight. Take it. Let's get the bottom line early. Starting tomorrow, somehow, some way, I'm going to get a time into the Word of God. I look back at Tim Darty. I have no Tim drives about 35 minutes to work. That's a great time to slip in a CD or, or probably not the best way, but a CD or a tape or something of the Word of God and listen to the Word of God and allow it to get in. It's a great time to listen to another preacher, another sermon to listen. So it's very important we get creative and find ways to grasp the Word of God. Why? Because it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training that we might become complete and equipped for every good work. So the seed is... The Word of God. So how do we respond to the Word of God? What should our response be when the Word of God is thrown out there? What should be our response? And in this, we see four different responses. The first one is this. In verse 5 in the parable, it goes something like this. As he, the sower, was sowing, some fell on a path, it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Now, you can probably figure this one out. That, that here's, a, here's a, a, and they didn't really plow like we do with our John Deere tractors, um, but, but they would plow the ground, and next to that would have been a path where people had walked, and the seed was very hard. And some of that seed fell on the ground. It could not penetrate the ground, so the birds came along and what? I see. Now, gee, we just heard from, from Jonathan, didn't we? You know, Jonathan has a, they built a new house in Vienna, and they have a wonderful crop of mud. 
Oh, they really do. It's, it's all brown. Now, there's a few weeds growing up now. And again, when you're desperate, even weeds are welcome. You know, they're green. That's all. My backyard, hey, it's full of clover and weeds, but I'm proud of every one of them because from the road, it looks green. Okay, it looks green. Okay, so, so here's the deal. Already, he's thrown seed out there. And you know what he said? Them birds came along and ate my seed. And that's exactly what Jesus says. The first guy throws the seed out. It falls on hard, trampled down ground. And because it couldn't penetrate, it was not allowed to penetrate, the birds came along and ate the seed. Now, here's what Jesus says in verse number 12. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they, are, that they may not believe and be saved. Jesus says the first case scenario is that of a hard heart. It is when the word of God is sown out and when it's thrown out there, it falls upon a hard heart and not the birds, but the devil comes. So remember this, the thief comes to, what's the primary job description of a thief? The thief comes to steal and then he's going to kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So the first thing you've got to understand is, is that the thief wants to steal. Now, now again, that they may not be saved. Understand, the, the, I'm trying to word the three-phase salvation. You understand that most of us, probably all of us, have a date in history. There's a place somewhere in history. For me, it was October 26, 1975. Okay, that's and you don't need to know the date. I just happen to know mine. You know that. So on October 26, 1975, I was saved. But since that time, I have been being sanctified. I am being saved. And then ultimately, one day, either by the rapture of this church, of God's church, or through death, I will ultimately be saved. So it's a, it's a process. Salvation begins with a fact, a, a date in history. I was born again. I experienced God's grace. I was saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrifice, His propitiation became apply, was applied to my sin. But since then, in the process of sanctification, I'm becoming hopefully more and more like Jesus Christ. And ultimately, I will be saved out of the presence of sin into a wonderful place called heaven. So understand that the lost man needs a Savior. Amen? The lost man needs a Savior. But every believer needs a Savior. Your need for Jesus doesn't stop at the end of whatever the process was. Whether you said a prayer, however it was, it was. It doesn't stop then and say, thank you, Jesus, I'm done. Oh, no. That's just the start. You're saved on your way to heaven. Your salvation is purchased. But then you spend the rest of your days becoming more and more like Christ. Well, Jesus seems to be saying, first off, for the lost man, okay, the preacher gets up, Tim is going to get up, I guarantee on Sunday morning he'll preach a strong salvation message. Where's Donnie? Donnie, just a couple weeks ago, we preached a really strong salvation message, and he and I both were surprised that someone didn't walk the aisle and say, I want to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Was it that the truth wasn't clear? No. More than likely than that, what happened was the, the devil came along and started stealing seed. And by the way, just freebie, don't be the devil's aid. During the invitation time, keep these in your pocket. Your bladder can wait. I'm not being funny. During the invitation, when we have, whoever the teacher is, when we sit up there and we have taught the Word of God, the invitation time is not time for you to get ready to go home. The invitation is a time for you to respond or praying for those who need to respond. 
That's what the invitation time, the time of decision is all about. It's all about. So, so there might be someone next to you who needs a Savior beginning that day. But every time the Word of God is preached, it's thrown out there and can be applied parts of it to your life. I love it. I, I was just reading a devotion on it. I love it. It's so true. You know how often someone will come up and say, thank you for saying so-and-so. And I'm going, I don't remember saying that. And that wonderful, sweet, precious Holy Spirit speaks to hearts. And something I, I may have said one way, the Holy Spirit speaks to another and addresses the need of a person's heart. Isn't that wonderful? You know why you can read Scripture 500 times and the 501st time you get something new out of it? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It just is. So, so we've got to be careful. Listen, we've got to be careful that our hearts do not become hard. If you, enter t- if you came in tonight's service and said, okay, it's good to be at church on Sunday night. You know, I hope Dwayne's got some kind of message for us. You know, I'm sure I'm okay. There's probably nothing I need to learn tonight. That's a bad scenario. It's a bad scenario. Every time, we don't want a hard heart. And hard hearts can be caused by lots of things. That's probably not the point of the message tonight is. But the point of the message is that we don't want a hard heart. If it's relationships, if, if it's sin, if it's habits, if it's ritual that we go through, be careful your heart does not become hard. Amen? Okay, so it's true for the lost person, but it's also true on every Sunday. And by the way, in case you don't know this, every Sunday there's lost people in our sanctuary. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. And every Sunday there are believers who need the Savior that day in some area of their life. So then he says, in verse number 6, Other seed fell on the rock, and when it sprang up, it withered, and since it lacked moisture... So we have a situation where some seed was thrown upon rocky ground. And you've all seen this. You've been in the Garden of God. You've seen it. There, where the water over time has put a hole and there might be some good soil right there. Chances are if it rained, there might be a little bit of moisture in there. You throw some seed in there. It's like a hot pot. And the, the sun comes in and heats the rock up. That helps the ground to spurt. And it just, just burst up. It just explodes. But then also as the sun gets higher in the ground, that same heat then becomes an oven, and because the moisture runs out, the seed does not germinate any further, does not grow any further. Well, Jesus says this, and in verse 13, And the seed on the rock are those who, have, who, when they hear, welcome the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and depart in a time of testing. I call this shallow faith. Shallow faith. This is really important. I personally believe, and, and Paul does this in the word he goes, well, now here's what, this is my opinion. I'm going to give you an opinion. So often, there are time limits for the word of God to work in your areas of life. I, I, I honestly believe when God brings you to our church, um, every week, every week, virtually every week, someone comes to our building for the first time. And the clock is ticking. And they will come and because they enjoy the worship, David, they may enjoy the, the preaching of the Word of God. They may enjoy the Sunday school class. There are several things. They might like donuts. You know, I don't know. But something brings them. And, and so often we hear, oh, I love your church. I'll be, you know how many people haven't been in church in four months. And they'll come out the door going, hey, thank you so much. I want you to know I'll be back. And they are for about three weeks, four weeks, two weeks, and it's gone. Understand that when new people come into our door, the clock is ticking. And unless that, here's, what, here's my opinion. 
unless they make some kind of a spiritual decision and commitment in the next few weeks, they won't stay. The hollering gets old. The loud music gets old. The beat of the drums gets old. The lights gets old. It's too hot. It's too cold. Satan will do everything he can through circumstances to make sure that person doesn't stay. Our responsibility is to create an environment where the Holy Spirit can latch onto them and either draw them into the family of God or this is where God wants them to hook them into the family of God, the local ecclesia. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It's very, very important. I mean, again, people will come in and they will prosper and they'll enjoy it, and then after a while, they depart. Um, perhaps life gets too hard. Perhaps, again, the, the newness wears off and people take a hike. So we've got to be careful. The clock is ticking. Now, this may apply to us. Next week, you're going to have the opportunity to hear a different speaker for three nights in a row. You need to be acutely alert to the voice of God in your heart. Often when God puts a different speaker in, it's for a specific purpose, and God may have a special message just for you from Tim. So make sure that as you come each night, that you are attuned to the Holy Spirit, hearing what God's Word has from this speaker that Tim Sadler will be coming to share with us. All right, then the third thing is this. I call this, and this is, this is, like, this is like way too common. In verse 7, he said this. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up with it and choked it. Now, verse 14. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and they produce no mature fruit. In other words, crowded lives. Crowded lives. Someone shared with me this truth just two weeks ago while you were gone. This person said this. They had gone out of church and they recently come back to church. And they said, Dwayne, nothing was wrong. It wasn't y'all's fault. We just got too busy. We live in such an incredible... Again, I shared this, I think, uh, probably Wednesday night. I said, we don't know any unbusy people. You know, retired people. Dwight's probably already experienced this. That you're probably busier now than you were before you retired. Am I pretty close to that? Does it seem that way? I've heard that over and over again. I, I do more now. I don't, I don't know how I ever worked, you know, before I retired. You know, how crazy that is. I don't know any unbusy people. And what happens is, in this crowded lives scenario... Worries and riches and pleasures choke out God. In fact, let me tell you this. Some of you sitting here tonight, a few of you today, have already made a decision, I'm too busy for a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday commitment. I'm too busy. Now what's going to happen is, you, you'll be okay, but what's going to happen is, there's something God wants to give you on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and you're not going to be here to get it. I don't want it is. I don't know. But again, I don't believe in accidents. I believe in a sovereign God. I don't think it's any accident that, that early on last fall, uh, after our week of September 10 last year, I invited to say, hey, Tim, how about coming back and sharing? I think God orchestrated this week for our people and our church family, and we've got to be willing to make this commitment. Well, Dwayne, what about busy schedules? They'll still be busy. That's why we're providing supper for you. That's why we're making it as easy as possible. When you get off work, and, and most in today's world, most often the husband and the wife work, and there are kids involved. That's why we start, you know why we start at 6 o'clock? So we can be out by 7, 7.30, so you can get your home, kids home, home in bed. That's why we don't start at 7 o'clock anymore. 
You, you want to know why? We provide child care so you can bring your children and they'll be taken care of uh, during that revival stage so you can come hear the word of God. You know why we do supper? So you don't have to cook. We want to do everything we can to make it possible for you to come and hear the word of God. And then be careful that it doesn't get choked out. Choked out. That's why I try, I almost feel hypocritical when I ask you to take notes because I don't, but I have a wife who does. <laughs> you know, hey, it's like swimming pools. There are two things in life about swimming pools. You can own one or have a friend who owns one. B is better than A. Better than me taking notes is having a wife who takes really good notes. Hey, honey, why did the preacher say that day? Okay, you got that? You got that? So, so don't let the word be choked out. It's so common. So common. Then, the last one. He said it this way in verse 8. Still other seed fell on good ground. And when it sprang up, it produced a crop. A crop. One hundred. This is the first time the word crop is used. A hundred times what was sown. Verse 15. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring bear fruit. This is hungry hearts. Hungry hearts. Somebody who simply says, God, I just by faith believe that you will make a way that there's, there's something you want for me and I want what you have for me. And you know the crazy part? I wrote down, God's desire normalcy. This is not the abnormal person. This is the normal person. This is the Christian norm. And God wants to bring this wonderful harvest in your life. And here's the cool part. Remember I tried this morning, and I'm not sure how well I succeeded, but I tried to show you that God has extended gifts to you so you can experience the, that wonderful feeling of purpose in your life. That you don't just come to church and sit down and leave. That, that you, you have a place and a purpose in the Dorsville family, in the ecclesia here at Dorsville. And in finding that purpose, you feel like you're part of the team. You feel like you're impacting the world for Christ. And hopefully that's they, the desire for there, the, uh, the feeling of that, the anticipation of that would be, I want that. I don't want to just be a pew filler. I, I don't want to get paid. I don't care if they pay a million dollars a year. I don't want to just be a ball player who sits on the bench. I want to be one who makes a difference. That's what I was trying to share this morning. And that's what I think Jesus is sharing here. This, this crop is, is fulfilled purpose. It's knowing that when a preacher stands before a group of people and talks about your dash, as, as Danny Lampley spoken and I've spoken about, your dash, that it'll be about Christ. It'll be about life's change. It'll be about impact. It'll be about purpose. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it'll be about impact. It'll be about purpose. It'll be about reward. That's the crop that he's talking about. And then he closes, and actually starts with this, but I'm going to close with it. As he, had, as he said this, he called out, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. That's an invitation if I've ever heard one. So, as we prepare our hearts for next Sunday morning and next Sunday afternoon, by the way, I mean, you, there's going to be more preached, there's going to be more sermons preached on Sunday afternoon than there will be the remaining nights, I promise you. Amen? 
There will be sermons. The word will be preached and lived out before perhaps three or four hundred people. It'll be out there. As we do that, as we prepare for that, let's make sure our heart is not hard to heart. Our, 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 our faith is not shallow. Our lives are not crowded. But our hearts are hungry. Um, Hosea 10.12 says this. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You know what fallow ground is? It's hard ground. It's ground that has the potential to be used, but it has to be broken. So tonight as we sing and as we reflect on this message, hopefully throughout the week as we prepare our hearts, Allow God to work and break your heart down so the seed can get in there and can bring a crop. Let's pray together. Father, I, I want to thank you for a word that I just said that I think you gave me. Hungry. Hungry. I know there are some times when Judy cooks whether I make it to the table or not just doesn't matter to me because I'm just not hungry. Maybe lunch lingered on. Maybe I ate too much snacks during the afternoon. But supper just doesn't sound good. But there are times. There are times when I cannot wait to get to the table. I'm hungry. And then how the food is prepared and really what is, is prepared is the importance of the fact that it's food. And I need it for my body. Jesus, truly may you be the air that we breathe. May we become so hungry looking forward to this weekend. May we become so hungry as Brother Tim comes to share with us. May we become so hungry for an opportunity to minister on Sunday afternoon. May we be so hungry for the Word, God, that we will just rush to the table with our fork in our hand. Ask and be fed from your richness. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that's about to unveil itself. We pray simply, God, that as the seed is sown, it will find fertile ground. Not fallow ground, but fertile ground to fall into. And God, I want to thank you for these dear people. Father, just like you orchestrated that crowd this morning, you put this one together. And there is certainly, Father, as we think about receptive hearts, there's more than enough within the sound of my voice tonight for renewal to break out, for revival to break out individually and corporately in our church. Lord, send a great revival into our souls. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control. Send a great revival in our souls. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.